Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Um, not everybody's here yet. Obviously, people are still walking in. But um, a couple quick uh, in-house family sort of things. Um, one, uh, today is our quarterly financial update uh, that we as a church want to do. Uh, this is our effort to be transparent and to show you all of what's going on, to talk honestly and openly about our finances so that you can see it. Um, it's a great opportunity for you to come and ask questions. And honestly, like whenever money gets talked about in churches, it's always a weird thing. And so this is really just our attempt to make this not weird and just normal. Like, hey, this is how things operate. This is what we do. This is what it looks like. And then you have an opportunity to ask questions in the process. So we want to invite you to that. It's directly after the service at 1130, I believe. And it'll be, um, if you go out these doors and then down all the way, you'll see a big trailer that says physical education. It's in that building. Um, I'm sure you can just ask anybody and they'll tell you where it's at. But it should only be about 45 minutes, um, depending on how many questions we get. But, you know, we want to invite you to come to be a part of that and listen up um, if you have questions or anything about that. Hey, Sam, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. Uh, and then also uh, next weekend is Vox PM. Uh, so make sure that, you know, we put that on your calendars because uh, nobody will be here in the morning. If you get here, there won't be anybody. And you're like, hey, what's Vox PM? Uh, so a couple of months ago, we as a church decided like, hey, we really want to get to know people and be in community in a different way uh, and make church look differently. And so what we've done is we've not done church in the morning on Sunday, but instead we uh, rented out a space called Fieldwork. It's just down the road here in Fullerton. Uh, and we just gather around a meal. We pay for it. You come and eat. And uh, we just enjoy a meal together, play some games, talk. We have communion. Uh, really just kind of what like church is, you know. And so it's a really great chance for us to just get to know people, to connect in community. Um, so that's next weekend. Uh, at Fieldwork. So make sure you put that in your calendar. There won't be anybody here if you come on Sunday morning next weekend. There'll probably be somebody out there telling you why we're not here. So uh, just keep that on your calendar. All right. That's it for the announcements. Uh, it's uh, my pleasure uh, to introduce our next speaker uh, for you guys. This is an, a friend of ours. So I'm going to invite Tim out here. Uh, this is Tim Muehlhoff. He's an old, 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 friend. old friend. Old, <laughs> old. Yeah. So Tim has been a friend of Vox for a while now, yeah. um, helping out in a lot of transitional times that we've had and been a part of the church and uh, and just been a great wisdom uh, leader for our church. And so we're glad that you're back with oh, us. So yeah. glad to be back. Everyone thought that we, we kicked you out. No. No, we didn't. You're here. So a couple quick updates. Um, yeah. One of the reasons why you had to step away was because of the migraines yeah. and some of the, the physical. Can you give us an update on where you're at with all that? So uh, if you're a migraine sufferer, it's just horrible. Um, I had a great month and a half. Uh, I'm on this new regime with my neurologist and it worked great for a month and a half. And then I had three very recently, I think hopefully weather-wise. But going through that month and a half just makes you realize what life is like without a migraine, and it's awesome. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe this thing is working, and the weather kind of whacked it out a little bit. I'm really hoping, and you could pray for that, that it's just the weather-related, that it actually is working with it. It's a bunch of um, supplements that you need on a regular basis, so hopefully that's working. Good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, how, how, how is the, how's the personal life stuff? that you know, You've got some fun stuff that are on the horizon, something you just talked about this morning. Yes. Share with everybody? So if you remember, I, I was in Shaolin Kung Fu while I tested for my black belt uh, two weeks ago, but we're a very traditional school, so I haven't gotten the results. I may not get the results for months. 
uh, because they, they say the test continues, but it hasn't stopped me from volunteering at some domestic violence shelters uh, locally, like one meets at Fullerton Police Station, teaching women verbal self-defense. We never want it to get physical, and, but if it does get physical, here are some very basic self-defense things. It's opened up a bunch of doors uh, for me to go around and help uh, women, and we're even doing an event at Biola this Wednesday, a campus-wide event for Women's History Month, teaching women verbal and physical self-defense. That's amazing. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been great, unexpected. My wife and I may travel overseas next year to help out in the Congo, the rape capital of the world. So we're just very unexpected to see the doors God has opened and that we live sheltered lives. There are some yeah. people in really hard situations, women in tough situations that just need our prayers and our help. So very unexpected. Um, so hopefully I'll get my black belt. I'm just going to buy one on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I'm just going to pull the trigger and get one. That's one way to do it. That's one way yeah, to yeah, do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, we're glad that you're here. I'm going to pray for you, thank and then you. why don't you just take it away from there, okay? Uh, God, thank you for Tim. Thank you for the wisdom that he's poured into this place and the time that he spent here. Uh, we're grateful for his leadership. Uh, we're thankful to have him as a friend of Vox and a guest, and uh, uh, we're excited to hear the message that he has. We pray that you would speak powerfully through him, uh, that our hearts and our minds would be open to what it is that you want to share with us, God. So we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ronnie. We probably should have mentioned I'm a professor at Biola University. This is my 15th year. Um, I teach classes on relationships, family communication, conflict resolution, apologetics, um, different things like that. Uh, I want to talk about, I have a book that's just come out, and I want to talk about it in in a a way that hopefully can relate to you. But let me me imagine this scenario. Let's say that you've been training for a marathon. You've taken the last year to train for this. You bought the right shoes. You have somebody to run with you. You actually have a trainer that's been helping you prepare for this marathon. And the day of the race finally happens. You are literally at the starting line, and they're about to start, and your trainer runs up to you and says to you, hey, listen, I, I... I should have mentioned this earlier, but as you run this race, there's going to be people trying to trip you up, discourage you, sabotage you. They do not want you to finish this race, but we didn't want to freak you out, so we didn't mention it, but go get them. You'd be like, wait, what? What? As you run? Well, in a weird way, that's what's happened to the church in the West. The church in the West has been very leery to talk about something that Jesus talked about all the time. 25% of everything Jesus had to say had to do with spiritual opposition. Every New Testament writer mentions spiritual opposition. John goes so far as to say the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So if you go across the world, like when I did relief work in Nairobi, Kenya, they take spiritual battle very seriously. They have the belief that you can not believe in Jesus and not believe in the devil. So in other parts of the world, when I was doing relief work in Africa, as we were to leave, they would always pray against spiritual forces. When I'm teaching my students at Biola University, I took some surveys writing this book. The book is called Defending Your Marriage, The Reality of Spiritual Battle. I did a survey with my students saying, when was the last sermon you heard in your church on spiritual battle? Or when was the last sermon you heard on the devil, on Satan? Average answer, zero. I'd ask them to comment on that, and they'd say, I I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about the devil or about spiritual battle in my church ever. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul's response to that? Can you imagine Paul's response? Paul said this, I do not want you to let the sun go down on your anger 
and then we don't repeat the rest of the verse, as not to give the devil a foothold. Foothold in the Greek means opportunity. So let's talk about spiritual opposition. Uh, the number one response I get, the number one pushback I get from the West is, uh, well, we don't want to overreact to this issue, right? We don't want to see Satan behind every bush. Let me just say, I, I think the church in the West, we're not in danger of overreacting when it comes to this issue. So let's take a look. Uh, at some um, questions that I've thrown out there. I, I want to start with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I once did a, a sermon series on things Jesus tells us to do that we just like never really do. It was an interesting sermon series. One of them is the Lord's Prayer. Here's Jesus saying, if you're confused how to pray, here's exactly how to pray. Here's how I want, now I don't think he means that you have to use the exact words, but he says, this is the format I would like your prayers to be in. Now, let me make one interesting observation that I put in the book. You'll notice that this ends very differently that might be in your Bible, right? The prayer traditionally ends, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, and amen. Well, most biblical scholars believe that was not in the original prayer that a Christian scribe to kind of formally end the prayer added that part. So if we take that part away, how does the prayer end? Let's read it. Uh, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So if you take the ending away from the Lord's Prayer, which most theologians believe was added, I make the argument Jesus is teaching us to pray against the evil one. Now, that'll make a lot more sense later in my sermon. If you take a look at how to rebut the devil, you'll literally see the blueprint in the Lord's Prayer. I make the argument, and we can't push this too much, right? I make the argument that the ending is what Jesus really wants us to focus on, deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so next slide. But here are the questions when I started to write this book. One is, who is Satan, and why would he care about my marriage? Right, think about that. If you're married, uh, you have trouble paying your budget. You have trouble raising the kids. What threat are you to Satan? Why would Satan even care about your marriage and attack it? By the way, let me say this. You don't have to be married to benefit from this. Uh, I think Satan is opposed to all relationships that would glorify him. So if you're single, I think he wants to disrupt your friendships. I think in a church like this, he'd want to disrupt the church, right? But I focus my book on marriage because Noreen and I speak at marriage conferences. So one, who is Satan and why would he care about my marriage? Uh, here's the number one question I got from people. Can Satan read my mind and can he plant thoughts? Uh, very quickly, he can't read your mind. We get no indication whatsoever from Scripture that Satan is omniscient, that he knows everything. But, but we do get indications that Satan can plant thoughts. We'll have to later talk about how can you tell if these are thoughts that a demonic presence may be putting in your mind. How can I determine if spiritual opposition is occurring? Maybe this is just a normal argument between me and my spouse. Maybe this is just a normal argument between me and a teenager. Maybe this is just a normal argument between me and my roommate. Am I really to think that there's spiritual opposition behind every argument? The answer is no. I think there are arguments that you just have. Marriage is hard. You have disagreements. Parenting is difficult. You're going to have difficulties. I wouldn't see Satan behind all of that, but there's certain indicators 
scriptures we'll take a look at in a second where I think our spiritual antenna should go up and say, I think there's something spiritual happening here as well as just two people disagreeing with each other. As a couple, how can we fight back? And again, I would say this applies to everybody. Okay, next slide. Uh, Clint Arnold at Biola University is the top Ephesians expert in the world. Uh, he's written the definitive uh, commentary on the book of Ephesians. He's written several books on spiritual battle I highly recommend. Um, he wrote the foreword to my book. He's my go-to person on all things demonic. I'd sit there, buy him a cup of coffee and say, can a demon do this? Can a demon do this? And he'd go, okay, I don't know, but let's say this, right? But So he writes on Paul's handling of the demonic. How does Paul respond to it? This is what he says in one of his books. On this topic, the topic of spiritual opposition, some of us suffer a double-mindedness. Although mental assent is given to the likelihood that evil spirits exist, since it's affirmed in the Bible, in reality it makes no practical difference in the way that we live our day-to-day lives. If you would have grabbed me before writing that book, and you would have said, Tim, do you believe in the devil? I would have said yes in a heartbeat, because I do. It's all throughout the Bible. But if you would have asked me, what difference does it make in your daily life? I would have said absolutely zero. I never think about the devil. I never think about spiritual opposition as I go about my daily life. And I think that's what Paul particularly wants to address in the New Testament is you've got to think about this, okay? Next. Um, why don't we think about it uh, in the West? Well, let me mention a couple reasons. One, um, Satan is either the butt of a joke in the West or he's over-dramatized in Hollywood. He's the butt of a joke. If you love the far side as much as I do, you get a picture of hell. Two demons are talking. Here's a guy doing his work as he's whistling. And it simply says, you know, we're just not reaching that guy. Right? Um, So the demonic is often a joke. Satan is in red hooves. Uh, He's wearing red underwear, right? We make him a joke. Did I just turn this off? No. Can you hear me? No. Did something happen? Test one, two. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Um, then you get the over-dramatized, right? That, that's um, the omen right there, you know, a person floating through the air, guttural voices speaking in Latin, right? You know, so that we get two extremes. We either laugh at Satan, he's the butt of a joke, or we over-dramatize him. In the 1960s, there was a guy named Flip Wilson, very famous stand-up comic who had a very famous phrase, the devil made me do it. That he would say that all the time. If you were to critique him on anything, he'd say, ah, the devil made me do it, right? I think we're leery of doing that, right? Uh, When I was writing the book, some people would say, like, please don't give my spouse an out. Please, when my spouse does something, please don't give him or her the uh, opportunity to say, well, I'm sorry, this was spiritual battle. This was spiritual opposition. But let's not go there. Let's not over-dramatize what the scripture does and over-dramatize. Next. Um, it is So in my field, academics, you get liberal theologians who make fun of anything supernatural, including the devil. So here are some quotes from liberal theologians. It is impossible to use electric lights and the wireless and to avail ourselves of modern medical and surgical discoveries and at the same time believe in the New Testament world of spirits and miracles. Uh, a belief in a literal Satan and demons is outdated and throws away all credibility of theology. Can you imagine UNC Chapel Hill, where I did my PhD, if they knew that I believed in a literal devil? That they would just look at that like craziness. And then lastly, if we believe in demons, we might as well hold that the earth is flat. So when it comes to academics, it's not popular to believe in a literal Satan, right? Next. 
Uh, but Helmut Tielecki was a pastor after World War II. He decided to give a very famous series on the demonic, on literal Satan, and this was his rationale right after World War II. Year by year, we have seen an increasingly poisonous atmosphere settling down upon our globe, and we sense how real and almost tangible are the evil spirits in the air. The overwhelming power of these experiences is so strong that it simply breaks through all the intellectual insulation which we are so prone to interpose in order to keep out these dark powers. Heimat Tillichy basically said, I'm sorry, I look around at a world after World War II, and all of this just can't be the work of man. There had to be something in instigating, right, the world war we just saw. And let me just say, there's a lot of reasons our world is a mess today. There's economic reasons, there's political reasons, right? But we would be naive to think, and supremely unbiblical, to think that the world is in bad shape just because people behave badly. Yeah, people behave badly, but maybe they're being instigated to behave badly. Maybe Satan is taking a bad situation and making it into a worse situation. I think as Christians, we have to hold that tension because the Bible does. Next. So, who is Satan? Why does he care about my relationships? How does he gain access? And how can I be sure that this is spiritual battle? Those are great questions. We won't have time to answer all of them. Next. Uh, we quickly learn when we talk... So, either the Bible talks about Satan in the Old Testament or surprisingly doesn't talk about Satan. So, when you go to the Old Testament, there's two passages everybody goes to, Isaiah and Ezekiel. Now, either they're talking about Satan or they're talking about human leaders. It's kind of split a little bit, though I would say the majority of theologians believe when Isaiah is talking about the king of Tyree, he then shifts to talk about who's fueling the evil actions of the king of Tyree. Same thing about Ezekiel. By the way, Jewish tradition always holds that Isaiah and Ezekiel were in fact talking about a human leader and then make the shift and talk about a demonic leader. Now, not every theologian believes that, but I think the preponderance of evidence tradition-wise shows that Ezekiel and Isaiah are talking about Satan as the bright morning star, that the bright morning star was created by God. So when people ask me, why did God create Satan? My response is, he didn't create Satan. Right? Satan means adversary. He didn't create the adversary. He created the bright morning star. He created this amazing angelic figure that was a cherubim. purpose of a cherubim was to guard the throne of God and to worship God. As Satan was doing that, he began to be jealous of God. Why does God get all the worship? Why does God get to rule the universe? Why can't there be a place in the cosmos that I rule that people would worship me? Now, I think what was the final straw that broke uh, Satan's back and led to rebellion. God takes humans, not angels, and he takes two human beings, puts them on planet Earth, and says, Adam and Eve, you get to rule the Earth. You are just a little lower than the angels, is what David would say, right? So here's planet Earth, where Satan's like, I'd love to rule Earth. And God says, no, 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 an angel's not going to rule Earth. Humans are going to rule Earth. And I think that was too much for Satan. Satan was like, that is just ridiculous that you would give that to human beings and not angelic beings. He leads a rebellion against God. He's not more powerful than God. He's defeated. He's him and other angels, we now call them demons, are sent to planet Earth and are given access to Adam and Eve. A million questions are probably going through your mind. Why would God do that? Why not just defeat Satan and lock him up somewhere? 
right? Why give them access to the first human couple that, that were basically, um, one could argue, ambushed? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think it has to do with the nature of freedom. God wanted Adam and Eve to choose him, and, and in order to have choice, you have to have options. I think what God did was to say to Adam and Eve, listen, I'm your heavenly father, I love you, but I'm going to give you another option here. There's another way that you can go. It centers on the tree of good, uh, the knowledge of good and evil. What we know about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wouldn't have been always off limits for Adam and Eve. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was advanced moral thinking. It was very uh, sophisticated moral understanding, and Adam and Eve were just too young to have that kind of graduate education and morality. It'd be like, um, there's nothing wrong with cooking over an open fire, it's just not for toddlers. Right? We don't have toddlers do it. But eventually those toddlers would grow up and they could cook over an open fire. That is exactly what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would have been. God would have said to Adam and Eve eventually, now you can partake of the tree because you're ready for that kind of moral understanding. The major question was, do you trust me when you're ready? That's the question Adam and Eve had to answer is, do you trust me that I know when you're ready to partake of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil? Satan was like, hey, jump the queue, you're ready now, why are you listening to God, listen to me. That's what the rebellion was really about. So I think God gave us a choice. He didn't want us to fall. He gave us every opportunity not to, but he allowed Satan, the adversary, to have access. So eventually the bright morning star rebelled against God and became Satan, the adversary. Next. Um, okay, let's diagnose the demonic. So what I did was I read 30 books on spiritual battle. There's awesome books on spiritual battle out there. Uh, I couldn't find any book about spiritual battle in marriage. That seemed really weird to me. That's why I decided to write the book. So I read 30 books on spiritual battle and asked the question, were there any signs of the demonic that a plot that all 30 books mentioned? Wouldn't that be wild if all 30 of them mentioned it? Now, I also created an honorable mention list. These were signs of the demonic that were legitimate, but not all 30 mentioned them. So reading these books, next slide. There are some phenomenal books out there that you really need to take a look at. Be careful. You need to trust the person who's writing this, right? But I would recommend anything by um, Clint Arnold. He's the one who wrote Three Crucial Questions About Spiritual Battle. Uh, Charles Kraft was an anthropologist. Christian anthropologist studying other cultures. He actually taught at Biola University for a long period of time. He's written 20 books on the topic. He's generally considered one of the top um, scholars when it comes to this. He wrote a great book called I Gave You Authority. So check out any book. Uh, and then The Adversary by Burbick is a great book. So when I took all 30, um, five started to emerge that these are signs of the demonic. Okay? So let's take a look at these. Number one. Oh, oh, okay. Stop. Before we uh, take a look at the five, we have to answer this question, can Satan plant thoughts in your mind? Why? Because all five are going to deal with your thought life. I think that's really interesting, right? So Keith Fernando, who wrote a phenomenal book on spiritual warfare, said this, a critical theater of the believer's spiritual warfare is a battle for the mind. So we know that Satan can't read your mind, right? A demon can't read your mind. Uh, and it may seem like they can read your mind, right? Noreen and I have been married for 28 years. It sure seems like that woman can read my mind. 
right? Now, she can't, but she's watched me enough to know all of my tendencies. I think that's how demons operate. They watch you, they listen to what you say, they watch you, and that, now they kind of know what your tendencies are. They know your bad habits, your good, right, all that kind of stuff. I think that's how Satan operates. Um, but we know that he can plant thoughts. Now, where do we get that from? Very quickly, a couple different places. In the Old Testament, David is tempted by Satan to take a census of his army. Now, you may think that a commander should know troop strength. Absolutely. But when you read the passage, you see that David has slowly shifted his confidence from God to the strength of his army. So Satan says, hey, count it one more time to put your confidence even more in your army. And he uh, he is seduced by Satan's thought to take a census. We get Ananias and Sapphira are tempted by uh, Satan to lie about the amount that they're giving to the church. And then Jesus himself is tempted by Satan, right? So if you read the um, Gospels, you know that Jesus is brought up to a, a, a small uh, mountain outside of Jerusalem. We've actually been on this mountain, Noreen and I, a couple years ago. It's not very big, but there Satan shows him all the splendor of earthly kingdoms. Uh, most theologians believe past, present, future splendor of earthly kingdoms. Well, obviously, Jesus can't see that. In, in his mind, he gets a vivid panoramic view of what human kingdoms can look like, and Satan says to him, I can give you all of that. Now, interesting Jesus' response. He doesn't say to Satan, no, you can't give me that. He acknowledges that, in fact, Satan could give him the earthly kingdoms. He's just not going to get control of the kingdoms via Satan. Right? So Satan can plant thoughts in your mind. That'll become important when we take a look at these characteristics. So let's take a look at the first one. Here we go, number one. Oh, I'm sorry, a Luther quote. Luther said this, the devil throws hideous thoughts in the soul, hatred of God, blasphemy and despair. He disputes with me and makes me give birth to all kinds of strange thoughts. This comes from Martin Luther, one of our top theologians. Go ahead. So most common signs of spiritual oppression, uncontrolled anger. Now, is anger a sign of the demonic? No. It's not. If you're married, you're going to get angry. If you're raising kids, you're going to get angry. If you have a friendship, there's going to be bumps along the road, and anger is part of it. Anger is even a moral emotion, ancient philosophers would say. Anger is good. There's things you should be angry about, God will say. But anger opens the door for sin right away. So if you're angry at your spouse or you're angry at a person and you can't shake it, Right? You go to, we've all been there. You go to bed angry, you wake up angry. Every thought leads back to this person, and you're just steamed. Right? That could be the sign of the demonic, that you're giving Satan a foothold. Paul goes there when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger as not to give the devil a foothold, uh, opportunity. So if you're angry right now at a person, and you are fueling that anger, Right? And that person has become one-dimensional. He or she's all bad. There's no good attached to this person. We call that tunnel vision. Uh, we call that catastrophic thinking. And most likely, Satan is using that to get a foothold in your life. And so the best thing we need to do, Paul says, is I want you to deal with the anger. Not deal with the conflict before the sun goes down. That might be too quick, right? Sometimes you just need time to work through hard issues. But he says, I want you to deal with the anger before the sun goes down. Do not let your anger cement. We call that bitterness. Bitterness. 
And bitterness is a very difficult thing to overcome. So you need to deal with the anger. Bring that to God. Say, God, I'm mad at this person. I'm mad at this person for what they did for me. And, and you can name the injustice, but give it to God, that God's going to be at work in that person's heart. You can't keep dwelling on this anger issue. Make sense? Okay, second... A sense of impending doom. Okay, so it's okay to worry about your finances. That's totally normal. It's okay to worry about the kids and their friends. It's okay to worry about, um, I'm going to switch jobs and it may not go well. Well, that's fine. Anxiety in and of itself is not a sign of the demonic. But all 30 books said this. If you think in terms of catastrophic thinking... If you think in terms of, I'm going to let my child go on a missions trip, and you're flooded with thoughts that your, chi- this is going to, uh, your child's going to die on the mission field. Uh, your child's going to be at extreme danger. Uh, your child's never going to come back, right? Then we start to think Satan may be fueling that. If you think, well, if we give more money to church, it's gonna, we're financially going to be ruined. We can't give any more, right? That's catastrophic thinking. If you're thinking, I want to switch jobs, I want to have a career change, but if I do it, I'm just afraid that the family will be wiped out. Another way to think about this is you and your spouse need to have a hard talk. Right? You're married. You need to have a hard talk. But in your mind, you think, but if we have this hard talk, it could be the end of our marriage. He, she could get so angry that it could explode the marriage. Then we're in catastrophic thinking, and that might be Satan just fueling that. Right? Yeah, don't take a step of faith. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's going to always end badly. We call that impending doom. And God is saying, hey, where am I in this picture? I can save your marriage. I can help. I can protect your child, that kind of stuff. Number three, um, a lack of forgiveness. If I were to rank the five, lack of forgiveness would be number one on the list. Everyone, including Charles Kraft, said this is the number one way Satan gets a foothold in our relationships, in our churches, in our country, everything. This is how Satan operates. A lack of forgiveness opens the door to Satan. So if you're mad at a person, right, and you know you should forgive them, but you're not going to do that, Satan loves that, right? He's going to mold that, shape that, and that's going to consume you, right? And I've been there. I've been mad at people. I've been mad at Biola faculty, right? And I'm thinking, I'm not forgiving this person. And here's what happens. Here's how it becomes dangerous, So if I'm going to be that arrogant and I'm going to say, um, I'm not going to forgive this faculty member, the Holy Spirit says, whoa, 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 hello. Did God forgive you everything at the cross? The answer is yes. Well, then take that forgiveness, give it to this person. I say, no, 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 no. That person doesn't deserve the forgiveness. The Holy Spirit says, yeah, but did you deserve the forgiveness? No, I didn't deserve the forgiveness, but that person really doesn't deserve the forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, but you are to take the forgiveness Jesus gave you, and you are to give it to everyone, including your enemies. At that point, I have a decision to make. You know what I do? This is what I do. I turn off the Holy Spirit. I said, yeah, yeah, we're not going there. And I'm not going to pray as much anymore. I'm not going to ask God for wisdom and leading. Why? Because I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear. So what we do is we close off communication with the Holy Spirit. And Satan's like, awesome. Love that. Now, I'm the only one planning thoughts in his mind, not the Holy Spirit. 
See how this can happen? Very subtle, dramatic way. Can, can Satan operate in the dramatic? Absolutely, he can do that. In my lifetime, I've experienced two dramatic encounters with Satan. I think it's backfired because it drove me towards studying spiritual battle and finding out the biblical response. Okay, next on the list. Violent dreams. Um, Oh, interesting. So you you have these crazy dreams um, uh, about your kids rebelling against the faith, about your spouse leaving you. Uh, I'm a speaker. I have these crazy unprepared dreams. My unprepared dreams are I stand up and I'm supposed to give a lecture about something I know nothing about. Nothing. And I'm like, what? Right? Those kind of dreams unsettle you. So you wake up the morning, you're supposed to speak, and you've just had this crazy unprepared dream, right? And now you're kind of shaking a little bit. I was surprised that every single book mentioned violent dreams. Next. Uh, no longer believing the best about God, right? Romans 8.28, God's in your corner. God's going to take care of you. God takes everything and redeems it, right? There just comes a time where you stop believing that, right? You, you prayed about this one situation that actually got worse. You prayed you wouldn't lose the job. You lost the job. You prayed for health, and guess what? Things got worse, not better. After a while, you start to think, hey, God answers everybody's prayers. He doesn't answer my prayers anymore. God's in everybody else's corner. He's not in the Mielhoff family corner because of all of our disappointments. Philip Yancey said, disappointment in God can happen in one dramatic moment or can happen by a thousand minor moments. I would say in our family, it's a thousand minor moments. It's not one big dramatic moment. Though I have a friend of mine, Steve, in Ohio, his wife was diagnosed with cancer and sure seemed like she beat it. And then she died very quickly, right? Left behind four kids, small kids. Right? Well, now in Steve's life, that could be one big dramatic moment. Where was God? We all prayed for her healing and nothing happened, right? So, um, you no longer believe the best about God? Let's add one more. Uh, no longer believe the best about yourself. Shame. Right? Listen, it's, it's, it's okay to think I could be a better husband, right? I could be a better wife. I could be a better parent. I could be a better roommate. I could be a better professor, right? But it's another thing to think I'm the worst husband who's alive. I'm just the worst. Or um, I'm the worst professor ever. I mean, there are some amazing professors at Biola. It's just there's a lot of pressure on you, these professors. There's just such godly people, right, who know every student's name and, like, pray for every student by name. And I'm just not that guy. I don't know students' names. They change all the time. And I'm just bad at names. Sometimes I look at my wife. I call her honey because that's all I got. I know it starts with an N. It could be Nancy. It's most likely Noreen. But I don't know. And you can't get that one wrong, right? So, and then professors who pray all the time for their students. So I'm walking across class, uh, across campus, a student passes me, I say, hey, how are you? And they actually stop to answer. Well, actually, Dr. Mayoff, I'm like, and I look at him and say, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I just said that to be nice. I got to go. <laughs> and so I go and I go, pray for you. And I just kind of, you know, I just go to. So if you think you're the worst of anything, that's Satan. If you think you're the worst, if you think you can't go back to God, that's Satan. Jesus nipped that one in the bud, right? Jesus painted the worst case scenario. 
He imagines a Jewish son who wishes his father was dead, gets an early inheritance, as a Jew goes to Gentile territory, is not only associating with pigs, which is a massive no-no, he's feeding the pigs, which you couldn't get any lower of what not to do as a Jewish person, and then realizes in the midst of the famine, you know, my, my father's servants are eating well in the midst of this famine, I'm starving to death. Most theologians believe when the son went back to the father, it was not because he wanted reconciliation, he wanted a, a meal. That's why he went back to his father. What is the response of the father? He runs to this child. So if you ever start to get this thought, I can't go back to God. I've done too much. The sin was too much. I crossed a line. That is absolutely demonic thinking, right? Um, so you are to reject that. I wish we had time to go into all this stuff, but we're already over time. So let me, let me pray for you. Um, here's what I would say. It is supremely unbiblical and naive to think that Satan isn't doing anything in your marriage. If you're a Christian couple... Satan is at work in your marriage. Now, maybe not in big, huge, dramatic ways, but to think that he's not even a possibility, I think, would shock New Testament writers. So there's a lot of great books out there. I wrote a book called Defending Your Marriage, The Reality of Spiritual Battle. Take a look at it. It's an introductory level kind of thing. But let me pray for you. Uh, and as an authority figure, I have the power, because I'm preaching, to pray uh, protection for each one of you. So let me pray for that. And by the way, pray for our leaders. I do think Satan has a pecking order. I do think he works on the leadership primarily and because he can get the whole church if he gets the leadership. So make sure we're praying for all of the uh, pastors here at Vox. But let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your great love towards us. We do not take that for granted. Father, we pray for the leaders of this church. Uh, we pray for David. We pray for Ronnie. We pray for Carrie. We pray for Andy. We pray for Christina. Uh, Lord, we pray for Izzy um, as they lead us. Lord, protect them. Protect their marriages. Protect their relationships. I pray that we'd be a church that prays for each other, that we take time to intercede. Thank you for the great power of prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Deliver us from the evil one. Let us believe that you're a good Father who protects us. So, Father, one great way to protecting ourselves is through worship, through focusing, through music on the great truths of Scripture and who we are as individuals. So we love you. Pray that you'd be a part of this worship time and communion where you give us the body that was broken, the blood that was spilt for us. Let us not ever take that for granted. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, well, thank you guys for coming and joining and being a part of this uh, ongoing dialogue that we call Church as Community. Um, we're thankful that you're here. I talked to Tim backstage, and we know that there are a lot of questions came in about spiritual warfare because it's one of those topics. Um, so we want to continue that dialogue. So I look for a Facebook Live with Tim uh, to answer those questions. So keep those questions coming. I think we have a text slide. Can we put up the text number real quick? If you have questions about today's message, um, if you want to ask them, we would love to, to answer those, and we'll, we'll try to answer as many as we can here. Uh, but also, Tim will do a Facebook Live as well. Um, again, 
this community stays together in part because of the generous donations of those people who give and participate that way. So we want to invite you to do that. Um, you can do that uh, at voxoc.com. You can do it online or you can do it here. We have uh, uh, giving boxes that are here and outside. And if you have cash or check, which I don't ever carry, so I don't know how you do that. Um, but you can do it that way if you want or you can go online. It's easier that way. Um, and then don't forget at 1145, we're going to be talking about the church finances. Uh, it's our quarterly update. So I want to invite you to that. 1145 at the Physical Education Building. If you go out these doors, go straight down. You'll see it. It's a big sign. That's where we'll be. But uh, God bless you guys. I'll see you guys next week, okay? Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.